When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to A History of Europe, Key Battles. The Battle of Chotin, Part 2 of 4. The last time we focused on the Ottoman Empire was the Battle of Lepanto of the year 1571, when a Christian alliance pushed back Turkish attempts to control the Mediterranean Sea. The Sultan at the time, Selim II, is not well regarded by historians, especially in comparison with his illustrious father and predecessor, Suleiman the Magnificent. Selim's nickname of the Sot derived from his excessive drinking habits, a vice which contributed to his death. In December 1574, Selim, plagued by concerns of numerous superstitions, paid a visit to a Turkish bath. The story goes that to deaden his fears, he drank in one go a whole bottle of wine. Tottering unsteadily, he slipped, fell and broke his skull on the marble floor. An ignominious end for an ineffective ruler. The first ten sultans of the dynasty, from Osman Bey to Sultan Suleiman, had prepared their sons for rulership by making them governors of provinces and surrounding them with advisers. They reigned an average of 27 years and went on campaign with the troops. Beginning with Selim, there was a succession of weak rulers, each ill-prepared for leadership. The next ten averaged only 12 years on the throne, from five were deposed and two assassinated. Selim's son and successor, Murat III began his reign with the by now traditional act of murdering his brothers. All five were strangled on his accession. Murat did not share his father's advice for drink, but he had his own, notably avarice and lust. He built a special vault with triple locks for his treasure and slept over it throughout his reign. It was opened only four times a year to receive fresh loads of wealth. Sultan Murat surrounded himself with innumerable courtiers, among whom writes Lord Kinross in his book Ottoman Centuries, The Rise and Fall of the Turkish Empire. The Sultan, quote, led a life of indolent self-indulgence, dealing himself affairs of state only to gratify their ambition, end quote. 
Certainly the interference of his favourite escorts did not contribute positively to the running of state. Under Selim II, affairs of state were handled skilfully by the Grand Vizier Mehmed Sokolu. But under Murad, Sokolu no longer enjoyed full authority and came to be at the mercy of the capricious intrigues of his new master's favourites and of the women in the imperial harem. On the 11th of October, 1579, Mehmet Sokolu was assassinated, ending a 15-year rule serving as the Sultan's chief administrator of state affairs. The motives of his killers is not known to historians, but the event is generally agreed as a milestone in the decline of the Ottoman Empire. Writes Lord Kinross, in a state which had hitherto depended on the absolute personal power of its sovereign, capably exercised and as effective control of its administration, a series of weak orders led quickly to disintegration, confusion and widespread disorder. The Ottoman Empire, like empires before them, including ancient Rome, had based their continued growing prosperity on territorial enlargement. Once the borders could be pushed back no further, the strains grew. Centuries of war had inspired in the Ottomans a sense of purpose, had provided for them in the form not only of spirals, but of territory for landed settlement. In default of an enemy to plunder, men plundered one another. Power and authority became centralised in the capital, Istanbul, a new class of landlords who were often officials and courtiers in the palace accumulated under themselves much land and property. Appointments to the Sultan's slave household became open to Muslim subjects who entered it through family influence or purchase of office and were now permitted to bequeath their posts to their sons, leading inevitably to nepotism. All this helped to create an ever-widening gap between the lives and interests of the peasants and those of the urban population. Another challenge for the Ottomans was economic disruption, brought about in part by an influx of Spanish-American bullion from the New World. This led to the depreciation of the Ottoman silver currency and to increased inflation. The Ottoman government was compelled to manipulate its currency. Gold coinage was devalued by 50%, while silver coinage, which was used to pay the military, was melted down and reissued as thinner coins with more copper. In an economy where the amount of silver or gold in a coin determined its value, this measure caused great financial instability. It also led to a serious revolt by the elite Janissary troops in 1589. Military resources at the same time were being stretched by a number of rebellions around the empire, the most serious of which took place in Anatolia and were known as the Gelari Rebellions. They were named after Sheikh Jalali, who led a revolt in the early 16th century, but came to describe a wide range of rebellions against the state. The rebellions were not attempts to overthrow the Ottoman government, but were reactions to a social and economic crisis stemming from a number of factors. Demographic pressure following a period of unprecedented population growth during the 16th century and climatic hardship, as well as a depreciation of the currency. 
On the military front, the Ottomans found themselves fighting on two major fronts, both of the Habsburgs to the west and the Persians to the east. On the Habsburg-Ottoman frontier, after an agreed truce in 1568, localised hostilities along the Croatian-Bosnian border persisted. The Habsburgs repeatedly protested about raids by local Ottoman forces, but were anxious to maintain the peace. They continued to pay the tribute or gifts agreed in 1568 so as to give the Ottomans no pretext for launching a formal campaign against them. Both sides took refuge behind lines of fortresses intended to protect the hinterlands from enemy incursions. In 1593, the Ottoman governor of Bosnia, Hassan Pasha, took a number of forts on the western Croatian side of the frontier. The Habsburgs saw this as a hostile act but attempted to resolve the matter by diplomacy. When Hassan Pasha besieged the strategic fortress of Sisak on the river Sava, the Habsburgs were compelled to send a relief force. They routed the attackers, many of whom, including Hassan Pasha, were killed. The incident provided the Ottomans with a pretext to launch a full-scale campaign into Austria, triggering the so-called Long Turkish War, 1593-1606. The then-Sultan, Murat III, declined to join his troops in battle, preferring the comfort of Istanbul. Part of the reason for not leaving the capital was that he was obsessed with plots against him, and particularly fearful of revolt by the Janissaries. He lived an isolated life, almost never seen in public, and spent more time at pleasure than on administration. His life was unexpectedly cut short in January 1595. While going about his normal business in Topkapi Palace, a pane of glass next to him was shattered by a noisy salute from Egyptian ships entering the harbour. The noise and shock of the broken glass gave Murat a heart attack from which he died. Though by no means a terrible order, Murad's sedentary lifestyle and lack of participation in military campaigns earned him the disapproval of the major Ottoman historians who lived during his reign. He was sultan for over 20 years, but did little to stop the gradual decline of his empire, locked away with the luxuries of his grand palace. One interesting side note, Murat tried once to explore North America and look into the possibilities of colonising the continent. But an exploratory fleet off America was attacked by the Spanish, and he abandoned the project. As soon as Murad's eldest son, Mehmet, learned of his father's death, he ordered the murder of all of his 19 brothers and half-brothers, as well as his sisters. Because no royal blood could be spilled, they were strangled by deaf mutes, who could therefore never speak of what they had done. It had by now become a custom for a new ruler to have all his siblings killed so as to make sure they had no rivals and the instability that could cause. But the procession of 19 coffins was still shocking to the residents of Istanbul and led to lamentations throughout the city. Mehmet accorded his dead siblings a solemn state funeral, burying them with honours beside their father, in coffins decked with turbans and plumes. Six pregnant slaves, the favourite from Harem, were also sewn up in sacks and thrown into the Bosporus, lest they give birth to claimants to the throne. 
it was the largest fratricide in Ottoman history, and clearly morally wrong. Mehmet III inherited the empire at a point when the Ottoman border in Central Europe was slipping back. The Habsburg Emperor Rudolf II had managed to get the Ottoman vassal states of Transylvania and Moldavia to rise up in rebellion. They were threatening to link up with Michael the Brave, who was already leading a revolt in the Ottoman province of Wallachia, in southern Romania. Michael's attacks went deep into the Ottoman Empire. He took a number of Turkish forts, including Nicopolis, and even reached as far as Edrinopol. At one point, his forces were only 24 kilometres from the Ottoman capital, Istanbul. Michael, however, was forced to fall back across the Danube when the Ottomans in turn led a massive counter-offensive, which aimed to not only take back their recently captured possessions, but also conquer Wallachia once and for all. In October 1595, a large Ottoman force came across a large rebel army near the town of Georgiou in southern Romania and suffered a surprise defeat. This was a situation the Ottomans couldn't tolerate. Sultan Mehmet, comfortable in his palace, was reluctant to join his army, but was compelled to do so by his ministers. The Janissaries even refused to march unless the Sultan joined them. And so in the summer of 1596, Mehmet III led his armies into Central Europe. They were encouraged by the unfurling for the first time of the Prophet's own sacred standard, which had been brought from Damascus for such an emergency. The Ottoman forces besieged the Hungarian fort of Erge, which controlled the communication routes between Habsburg, Austria and Transylvania. On receiving report that a very large combined army of Austrians and Transylvanians were advancing towards them, the Ottoman War Council decided to march out and meet the enemy at a suitable battle terrain. Sultan Mehmet thought that the Ottoman army should disengage and return to Istanbul, and it was with great difficulty that he was persuaded to engage the enemy forces. The two armies faced each other on nearby plains in what became known as the Battle of Kereshtesh, known in Turkish as the Battle of Hachova. The Austrian-Transylvanian army, under the joint command of Archduke Maximilian III of Austria and Prince Sigismund Batoru of Transylvania, was in position in fortified trenches. When the Ottoman army attacked the Austrian trenches, battle commenced and continued for two days from the 25th to the 26th of October 1596. Early firearms, both cannons and rifles, were used extensively in the battle. The Austrians succeeded in driving back the Ottoman assaults with a barrage of fire from muskets and cannon. By the second day of battle, the Ottoman army appeared to have been defeated. Sultan Mehmet, considering the battle was lost, wanted to flee from the battlefield, but was persuaded to stay. Soon after, the battle turned when Christian soldiers, thinking the enemy were defeated, stopped fighting and began plundering the Ottoman camp. The Ottoman camp helpers, horse groomers, cooks and tent makers retaliated against the plunderers with whatever arms they could find, including blocks of wood, hammers for tent making and axes for cutting wood. The Christians were surprised and retreated in confusion, which encouraged the main Ottoman troops to recover the battle. With a major assault from their artillery, the Ottoman forces started another attack. They outflanked the Austrian Transylvanian army and routed them. 
For the Christians, it was a devastating setback. More than 30,000 of them were killed and considerable booty captured. For the Turks, their decisive victory allowed them to retain their hold on their territories in southeastern Europe. Meanwhile, Sultan Mehmet returned with relief and in triumph back in Istanbul. There he went back to his former life of relaxation and idleness, leaving the affairs of state to others. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The long Turkish war dragged on for another few years. In 1601, Michael the Brave of Wallachia asked for assistance from Rudolf II, the Habsburg Emperor. This was granted when Rudolf heard that his general, George Obasta, had lost control of Transylvania to the Hungarian nobility, who had accepted Ottoman protection. Michael, allied with Basta, defeated the Hungarian army in the Battle of Guruslau on the 3rd of August 1601. A few days later, Basta assassinated Michael and determined to be Prince of Transylvania himself. The rule of Michael the Brave and his resistance to Ottoman rule was considered in later periods as the precursor of the modern state of Romania. To Romanian nationalists of the 19th century, he was regarded as the first author of Romanian unity and is today still considered one of their greatest national heroes. Meanwhile, the Ottoman leadership became preoccupied with a major revolt in Anatolia. Taking advantage of the Ottomans' problems on its western border and in Anatolia, Shah Abbas, a ruler of Persia, launched a full-scale offensive. Shah Abbas is regarded as one of the strongest rulers in the history of the region in the pre-modern era and presided over the height of Persian military, political and economic power. He swiftly captured the major cities of Tabriz and Yerevan from the Ottomans and over the next two years managed to regain control of much of the Caucasus mountain region. Unwilling to fight on both their eastern and western fronts, the Ottomans were keen to come to an agreement with the Habsburgs. The long war ended with the Peace of Zidfatorok on November 11th, 1606, with no significant territorial gains for either side. One important aspect of the peace was that for the first time in Ottoman history, the outcome of the war had been an overall reduction in territory for the Ottomans, rather than an increase. The Habsburg ruler, Rudolf II, earned himself some prestige for his resistance to the Turks. 
Significantly, for the first time as part of the agreement, he was recognised as an emperor by the Ottomans. Sultan Mehmet III, who reigned over most of the time of the conflict, never got to sign the final peace. He died in 1603 at the age of 37 after reigning for just eight years. It is thought most likely of natural causes. Except for one successful military campaign in Hungary, which he embarked on with great reluctance, Mehmet stayed in his palace in Istanbul and left affairs of state to others. The task of commanding an imperial army in battle gradually devolved to the viziers. By the early 17th century, perceptions of the sultan's role had changed and they were expected to remain in the capital. In the last year of his reign, Mehmet became paranoid about his eldest son, Mahmud. Mahmud was keen to leave the palace and take up the role of warrior prince and lead an army into battle. But Mehmet feared that his son intended to mount a rebellion against him and so refused to give him any military role. Rumours of a conspiracy to poison Mehmet and to place him as sultan with Mahmud were spreading in the capital. Mahmud was imprisoned and beaten to make him confess, but he denied all allegations. On the 7th of June, 1603, he was murdered by four deaf mutes in a harem while Mehmet III waited outside. Whether or not Mahmud really was trying to organise a coup is unknown. In any case, his death was unfortunate, considering the unsuitability of his relatives for rule. Mehmet's successor was his new eldest son, Ahmed, who became sultan at the age of 13. Unlike his predecessors, Ahmed I decided not to commit fratricide on his accession. Instead, his 11-year-old brother, Mustafa, was quietly put away in a palace under a luxurious kind of house arrest. This set a precedent for the future so that fratricide no longer occurred on a session of a new sultan. From henceforth, royal princes were confined to the inner sanctum of the harem, the so-called cage. It was exquisitely decorated and had handsome courtyards and gardens. There were no windows on the ground floor, though from the second floor one could look out to see. The inmates were shut away from everyday life. Their only companions were deaf-mutes, unable to give news to the outside world, and a modest harem of concubines, the only living people with whom they could talk. The concubines never left the cage unless one became pregnant, in which case she was immediately drowned. This happened rarely because great care was taken to ensure the women were barren. Sultan Ahmed was mainly interested in poetry, architecture and religion. His main achievement was the Sultan Ahmed Mosque, also known as the Blue Mosque, and considered one of the masterpieces of Islamic architecture. Hand-painted blue tiles adorn the mosque's interior walls, and at night the mosque is bathed in blue, as lights frame the mosque's five main domes, six minarets and eight secondary domes. It is situated next to the Hagia Sophia, an equally famous landmark of the Turkish capital. Its great opulence was extremely expensive, and the cost of its construction was ended by the taxpayers of the empire. One success during Ahmed's reign was the putting down, finally, of the Jalari rebellions in Anatolia in 1610. 
However, soon after, the Ottoman-Persian conflict reignited. Ahmed, preferring to stay put in his palace, sent his grand vizier to battle. But the campaign was a disaster, and the Persians made large gains in the Caucasus and Iraq, at the expense of the Ottomans. In November 1617, Sultan Ahmed caught typhus and died at the age of just 27. In the course of his reign, he did little on his own initiative. He was capricious and lacked good judgment, forever changing his grand viziers, largely at the behest of the harem, whose staff had become very powerful at court. Although he had a young son, the Ottoman leadership chose instead to crown his brother Mustafa. Mustafa's accession created a new succession principle of seniority that would last until the end of the empire. It was the first time an Ottoman sultan was succeeded by his brother instead of his son. After having spent more than ten years in the cage, Mustafa had nearly lost his mind. It was hoped that regular social contact would improve Mustafa's mental health, but his behaviour remained eccentric. He pulled off the turbans of his viziers and yanked their beards, and threw gold coins instead of bread to fish in the Bosporus. And he dismissed a high-ranking official so that he could offer the post to a peasant, who had given him a drink of water when hunting. After just three months, he was deposed very quietly and was led back to the cage. The Ottomans were now suffering from a run of several ineffectual rulers, the empire constantly faced new challenges, regular pressure on different continents from rival empires the Ottomans had been unable to defeat. Furthermore, by the 1600s, Russia was a new threat to the north. The reason for Mustafa's deposition was that a powerful new group of courtiers preferred Osman, who was Ahmed's eldest son. Aged only 14 on his accession, Osman II tried to assert his authority by dismissing several of the top officials, including the Grand Vizier and the Second Vizier, and replacing them with its allies. However, given the fractious nature of court politics, it was always going to be difficult, and he needed to keep on side the powerful Janissary military, who now dominated the capital. Despite the political turmoil and many challenges, the Ottoman Empire was still a regional superpower, with an impressive military might, so one shouldn't exaggerate its problems, nor was its decline inevitable. Their European territory reached its maximum extent as late as 1676, while their dominions in Asia and northern Africa went on expanding, albeit fitfully, during the 18th century. Nevertheless, writes Robert Bigelow and Ian Jeffries in their book A History of Eastern Europe, Crisis and Change, the seeds of their decline had already been sown by the early 17th century. Ottoman militarism was combined with a contempt for industry and commerce. The consequence was that when the empire was still in its heyday, it was already being overtaken in material strength by the more innovative economies of Christian Europe. Within the empire, industry and trade were left to the non-Muslim conquered subjects, Thus, the stigma of the infidel became attached to the professions, which the infidels followed, and remained so after the craftsmen became Muslim. To quote Bidelow and Jeffreys, quote, Until the early 16th century, the Ottomans had remained quite receptive to new foreign ideas, products and technologies from the Orient, as well as from Europe. 
they had been quick to assimilate European advances in the design, production and deployment of artillery, smaller firearms and ships. Indeed, the secret of the Ottoman success lay in their remarkable powers of assimilation. End quote. The later Ottomans, however, were much less receptive and open-minded. As a result of their conquest of Arab Muslim heartlands, the Ottoman Sultan naturally became the protector of the holy places of Islam. Their new custodial role in the Islamic world restricted their ability to assimilate outside ideas and knowledge. They came to rely on their status as the conservative upholders of Sunni Muslim orthodoxy and conformity, against Shia Muslim heterodoxy and subversion, as well as against Christianity. The Ottomans were able to accept Western-style weapons and ships, as these could be employed in the service of Islam against the infidels, but printing and clocks would not be accepted. Despite their often laudable tolerance towards Orthodox Christians, the Ottomans could never accept them as equal partners. Dazzled by their initially impressive military might, they clung on to the comfortable illusion of the immeasurable and immutable superiority of their own civilization. Thank you for listening to A History of Europe, Key Battles. Next week I'll continue the narrative talking about the history of Romania and the build-up to the Battle of Khotin. I hope you can join me then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.